Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. On today's episode of Perpetual Traffic. The real cool thing about it is you're more likely to change your physical address than your email address. I think about how many times you might have moved in the last three years or whatever, but do you really change your email address? The answer is typically no. And if you open it up on an iPhone or on an Android device or your computer at home or your tablet, it's the same email address. So you don't have to worry about changing your, if you will, ID based on what device you use. So that makes it a much better tool to identify you as an end user. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wilders and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Hey, y'all, just a quick message from our friends at Wix e-commerce, the industry-leading e-commerce platform with a robust, customizable, future-ready solution. If you're looking to launch, run, and scale your online store successfully, Wix e-commerce has all you need. From a customizable storefront, through marketing and management systems, to a full-stack dev tool, Wix e-commerce has you covered. Go to wix.com forward slash e-commerce today and join over 700,000 active stores selling worldwide. Hey, PT listeners, if you own or work in a startup, chances are you're probably caught up in a world of craziness. That's startup life, but it doesn't have to be yours because we want to tell you about a new content series, The Seven Levels of Scale. 
In it, Ryan Dice shares his proven path to take your business from a struggling startup to a high-profit, high-impact, exitable business that gives you the wealth and freedom you deserve. If you want to know more, head to getscalable.com slash go. That's getscalable.com slash go. And you can download a free guide to show you what level of scale you're currently at and how you can scale quickly and profitably to the next. Hello and welcome to Perpetual Traffic. This is your host, Kasim Aslam. And I'm really excited about today. I'm chatting with a guy who, uh, by the way, went to Harvard Business School and Columbia University and has been the CEO of a SaaS product for 10 years, which in digital years is like a thousand years, I think, if I did my math right. Runs a company called Jing. Jeff Kupietsky, thanks for being here. Uh, it's my pleasure. Happy to be here. Yeah. How did I do on your introduction, by the way? Anything that I should have added? Well, I had a mentor once said, just because you went to Harvard Business School, don't forget, it's two-thirds of HBS is BS. <laughs> you know, the, th- the funny thing about Harvard, though, is there's just, there's nothing else that you could say that's instantly like, oh, oh my goodness. You know, there's just instant credibility. So good on you, and I'm, I'm adequately intimidated, so uh, the degree hopefully paid for itself, in that at least. It's been a long time ago. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's leave my Harvard days in the past. Sounds like there's some skeletons in the closet. So you, uh, you run Jing, um, which again, 10 years in business, that's quite a feat in the SaaS space. How did you A, stay in business, B, avoid, you know, acquisition, merger, somebody shutting you down? How do you, how do you navigate those waters? Yeah, it's a great question. So we're a very long-term, I would say, kind of thought about company in the sense that we really spend a lot of time thinking about the email channel. That itself is not a new technology. It's not seen by many people as disruptive because it's been around for so long. But our insight is that it can be reinvested into, reinvigorated, and used as a primary way to connect with consumers for whatever product or product that you're selling, that you'd be able to kind of engage with them over that channel. So we have iterated a bit about which products we sell, but we've always been thinking about the email as a channel, as a way to connect with end users. Okay. And give me the elevator pitch. What is Jing? What does it do? Why do we want it? Sure. We're a platform primarily for content creators to help them better engage and monetize their audience through cross-channel messaging. So to be more specific, we help them send personalized email or push messages, and we can also help them monetize that audience that they aggregate through messaging through an ad network that we run as well. Okay. And so I'm going to, I'm going to unharvard business school that statement because you're too smart for me, Jeff. I'm, the way that I understand this is you've got um, people with a list that want to monetize the list and they don't necessarily know how. And so you're going to help them with ad placement. And then you have the folks that want lead gen and you're assisting them by making that connection and pushing their ads to the folks at the list and vice versa. That's correct for the primary business we're in, which is the ad network side. I think that you have that right. The additional benefit though, is those people that want to actually enhance the relationship with end users, we help them personalize their newsletters. So if you think about kind of where the industry is today, many people get the same content. You imagine you open up your inbox, you're going to see a newsletter with the same content that I might get if we're subscribed to the same source. It makes much more sense, just like when you open up Facebook or Twitter, you'll see different content based on your interests and your needs. We want that to be the same experience for an end user when they open up their email. It should be unique to what they're interested in at the time that they open on the device that they're on. So I think that's really brilliant. Customizing email to the same degree that we're trying to customize social messaging. And I've heard lip service been given to that, but nobody does it really well. Well, we're investing in it. It's not an easy problem to solve. But to back to the comparison to social media, the real benefit to an end user is that you're getting now this content in a personalized way from a brand that you trust. 
It's someone you've given permission to in order to kind of engage with their content, which you can't say the same about social media. Imagine again, people getting their news today. Well, they read something here. How do they know if that's real or not? How do they trust that? Well, they got it from a friend, but the friend is sharing a link. Whereas if you get it from a brand that you already have a relationship with, it's already going to be news or information you're more likely would engage with. And that's our belief is how we can kind of move the industry more towards a one-to-one relationship with the content creator, where that's where they have the authority of the content and the end user benefiting because it's now something that's relevant to what they want, not necessarily something that's just in a feed that somebody at Facebook's algorithm decided is relevant to them. Hmm. So you're piggybacking on a trusted content creator with the assumption that the user is going to prefer hearing from a trusted conduit than just a random ad. Yeah. And all the research and kind of user behavior shows that users prefer to get their news and information and content that they like from brands that they trust. The challenge is it's hard for them to discover that. It's easy when they're on Facebook, they're spending time there, but how do they discover each of these small, you know, potentially providers? And our answer to that is use email. You'll find that that's the best way to kind of reach out to those folks. So here's an objection that you're going to roll your eyes at me. And you hear this all the time. I bet you every day. Email's dead. Uh, just like the mailbox is dead. Yeah. I like using this analogy. But you know what? We still go to the mailbox. Let's just work with this analogy for two things, right? It's not for letters from, you know, Aunt Sophie. It's not for correspondence with a loved one anymore, right? It's basically bills and catalogs because that's stuff people still get or magazines, things like that. So when it comes to content or it, it comes from a, a relationship you'll have with a brand, people still use the email channel as their primary way to trust that brand. You're not going to your bank over, you know, Messenger, right? You're not going to access your credit card statement on WhatsApp. But you are comfortable getting those things like your mileage statement, like your bank statement, like your credit card statement over email. Similarly, you're comfortable reading content if it comes to you from email as well, especially when you know the, the source and you trust that source. So for sure, we're not going to necessarily use email to communicate with people, but it's a very effective tool for a brand to connect with their audience. Well, and I want to defend you from the statement I just made because I, I don't believe email is dead. I think the data shows that email is the highest performing, least expensive form of marketing in existence and, and pretty much always has been since the advent of the internet. And for my listeners, if you're not running targeted email, I don't care what size your list is. You could have a list of 100 people. I think you're going to find really substantial returns. And so what Jeff is going to teach us here today, how to improve our email deliverability, readability, customization, uh, I don't think anything could be more relevant, especially given the bloodbath that is the traffic world. Like traffic's exploded and everybody's sick of hearing it and I'm not gonna beat that drum too heavily. But if you're hurting from a traffic perspective, I would encourage you very strongly to pay attention to email because it's, man, it's just the tried and true. And we always come back to it. You know, and every marketers, every every six or eight months, I read, oh, email is dead, try this instead. You know, we're moving SMS, we're moving a direct response, we're moving to browser notifications. And then something blows up and everybody comes right back down to email. That's right, because it's exactly the way you said it. It works. It's actually pretty decentralized. There's no one company that dominates, so therefore more people trust it. From an end user's perspective, it's fully permission-based and opt-in. So I give permission for someone. If I don't want to do it anymore, I unsubscribe. Or I say, don't send me this anymore. So the user has full control and therefore is very compliant with all the different you know, now kind of changes that are happening on privacy. And the real cool thing about it is you're more likely to change your physical address than your email address. I think about how many times you might have moved in the last three three years or whatever, but do you really change your email address? The answer is typically no. And if you open it up on an iPhone or on an Android device or your computer at home or your tablet, it's the same email address. 
So you don't have to worry about changing your, if you will, ID based on what device you use. So that makes it a much better tool to identify you as an end user. Let's talk about Apple for just a minute. iOS 15. Is that, I mean, is that Armageddon for email or you think you're going to be able to hurdle it? I think we're already kind of dealing with it. It definitely is a big change, but let's describe what's really happened. So for those in the audience might not be aware, Apple made a change where now they've effectively said every email that's delivered, we'll open it up on your behalf for the user. And therefore, the sender no longer will get a signal if you actually opened it or not. And they're doing that statedly because they want to protect your privacy and hide, if you will, your location or whether or not you've opened it. We all know it's also another way to get you tied into iCloud and the storage side of their service provider. So we'll leave aside their, their desire of why they did it. But the impact for marketers can be seen as real if all you're using as a signal for engagement is does someone open my email? That's going away. We have always preached that's not the best signal of engagement. You want to see if someone had clicked. And so we talk about something called a click to deliver metric, which is not a click per open. It's a click for the number of people that you sent the email to. We might not have an accurate number on actually who saw the email, but we can accurately look at how many people clicked. And I would definitely encourage the audience to think about, are you growing that click to delivered rate in a world that has so much kind of, if you will, competition for the interest of your user? So that's a value bomb right there. The new KPI for email marketing is click to deliver rate because we can't see opens or we can't see all opens. And that, that muddies the waters further because you can see opens in you know normal email server clients, Android, et cetera, but I can't see opens in iOS. And so now it's not as though you can average across those dimensions because you're taking away the, the psychology that is the iOS user. And so what you're doing is giving us a, a golden rule, a golden KPI, which is click to deliver. That is correct. I will say behind the scenes, there are ways to identify what really is an open or blending, if you will, the different platforms. You just need different ways now to kind of track your performance with them based on the campaigns you're running against that audience. Well, they're the most valuable consumers on the planet, right? I mean, they're your influentials. They buy first, they buy more, they wait in line for stuff. You can't not, you can't not market to iOS users. Uh, how do you know if somebody's using a, an iOS device? So there are kind of uh, signals within the user ID, if you will, or kind of the information that the device sends back where you can use that as a way to identify that as an iOS or not an iOS device. It's not. A, okay. So oh, you have I'm, to have sent to them one time and then you get the, the response and now, you know, and then you segment them accordingly. Yeah. I mean, again, think of it as uh, there, there's an address that every device has a technical address and you right. can use that to identify kind of what type of device they're using. What about the loss of the email through the opt-in? iOS is now masking emails. They're providing proxy emails. Does that hurt business at all? So again, I think they're doing that for people that want to use that for a way not to have a direct connection with a brand. Let's say it's a one-time purchase or a one-time kind of engagement. And in that sense, I think that could be a challenge. We have found though that if you're opting in, not necessarily through the Apple email ecosystem, but let's say through a regular browser, that that shouldn't be a concern. You can still ask for that and then retain that information and the person's using a real address. Um, obviously it's something again, that uh, I think marketers and those that are asking for email address have to adjust to. But what we find is as long as it's something that you're giving a good value exchange, the user is gonna give you an actual address because then they know they can get something back in return from you for that. Mm. Uh, if you don't mind me switching gears a little bit, you mentioned segmenting. So we're going to customize the message to the recipient the same way that we're customizing messages on social channels, which I think is brilliant. Outside of just tags, how do you know how to segment who's who, what they're interested in, et cetera? 
Sure. So the truth is there's a lot of information based on people's browsing activity. If you think about an average user, right, they'll be on a website, they'll show interest in certain content and certain content they'll never even, you know, scroll to, they never click, they never engage with. So if you had some kind of um, ability to categorize the user behavior on a website and track that user activity against also the content itself and using some data science, you can actually categorize the content and categorize the users, even in kind of a, if you will, a, a aggregated way, you start to build a set of profiles based on which users like which content. You can add to that once you identify the user to their email behavior. And suddenly we know that, you know, Kasim is, you know, always on the website, always checking out sports content. We send him a sports email and he clicks on that. We did the same thing with food content and didn't show a lot of interest. So now we know more interest in sports, less interest in food. That's a simplistic example. But the whole idea is that if you can collect that data over time across multiple channels, you can then leverage that to send over email a targeted piece of content relevant to that user's interests. Mm, and the more content you send them, the smarter you get. Both the more content and frankly, the more browsing, the more they engage. One of the things that marketers have had a hard time with is that they see users as distinct. If I browse to their site through a desktop, let's say Google Chrome experience, and then I open up my Apple News, my Apple Mail app on my iPhone, and then I've got an Android tablet and I'm accessing the content a third way. In the old world, right, those are three different users. There's nothing connecting them. Hmm. In the world that we're talking about, you use a hashed email as the source of the ID, and then you connect that with the other experiences. You now have a single ID, and you can see the behavior on all those platforms. And the user loves that because they know it's the same user, same experience, but I happen to be reading it you know, when I'm on the subway one way and I'm at home another way and at the work a third way. But I want to have the same knowledge of my browsing activity across all three platforms. And so by having that ability to connect the user with one ID, collecting the data on all channels, you get much smarter about what that user is actually interested in. And the result for the user is when they see then a push of an email to them, the content's more relevant, they're more likely to read it. And so Jing is something of a CRM in that case, right? Because it lives on the website, it's capturing web-based analytics and then appending that to the contact record so you can market to them accordingly later. So let me backpedal on the sales pitch a little bit because I don't want people to think that we're just pushing them towards your software. Let's say that they can't afford it, it's not right, whatever the, 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 the barrier is. Give us some tips and tricks in terms of segmenting just from a principal perspective, not necessarily from a technical perspective. Sure. So first off, I'll go back to what you even said. If you have 100 names today, that's a great start. Go get the next 10. If you have zero, start with an ask on your website to give us your address. And my suggestion there is make that contextually specific to where they were browsing. And you can do this with third-party tools. Again, this is not our product. This is out there. Or you can even hand code it. But if someone is the first-time user, maybe it's a generic sign up for our newsletter, get more articles like this. Maybe you've seen them browse inside your, let's call it your um, checkout section. Then maybe the call to action is find out when there's a price drop on this item or get information about future sales. Now you've seen what the user has already gone through your site. You know more about them. So make the call to ask them to give you an email address relevant to their browsing. And that will actually raise the adoption rate of them signing up for your service. So that's the first thing. The second is you want to be in a regular cadence of sending email. People always say, no, I don't want to send more than once a week. I don't want them to feel like they unsubscribe. How many retailers do you know say, no, 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 you came on Sunday. Don't come back to the store. You came Sunday. I don't want you to come back on Monday. Just come back once a week. I'm good with that. We want loyal customers. Come back every day. 
So send them content every day. If it's relevant, it doesn't matter how often you send it, they're going to be engaging with it. If it's not relevant, don't send it to them at all. So that's a tip that people should think about. If you're sending the same thing to everybody, then of course sending it every day is going to be seen as inappropriate. But if you're sending only what's relevant, we have clients that send four or five times a day with higher click to delivery rates than people send once a week. And the difference is relevancy. You've already touched on this a little bit, but just to make sure I sew this all together, people are providing you predictive indications of what it is that they're interested in based off of where they're on the website. So I love the point you made about making the subscription catalyst relevant to the page that they're on. And now it's important and incumbent upon us because it's all first party data to make sure we store that, right? Like pay attention to what it is that they're doing, what pages they're going to, videos they're watching, because that's all cookieable information. And when they convert, I now have the ability to segment that prospect at least to whatever degree I have information on what it was that they were looking at. Correct. And I would add to it, think about this as a single user accessing you through multiple channels. Ideally, you build one profile and add that data as you collect it from each channel, as opposed to what's happened generally is that people have siloed that. And they say, right. well, I have an email list. I've got a you know app user and I've got a browser, you know, a user that's browsing. And they see them as three distinct. They're not. It's the same user. They're just using three devices to access your content. So if you can link that all together and have one view of that identity. Yeah, I've heard that called progressive profiling. I think that there's a technical limitation there. Now you really need a platform that's going to help you do that. And I imagine Jing does that. Uh, that's true. But to be honest, sometimes you're just asking folks. I mean, just looking when they come from their email to your website, you, care, you can capture that data yourself. You don't need third-party tools to do that. And mm. it's just an association. We sent this email. This user came from there. We now know the source. We now know this email address associated with this user session. So we have a cookie to an email connection. Yeah, I think first party data is going to be the battle cry of marketers from now until whenever the the you know the, the privacy concerns go away. And I don't think those will ever go away. So if, if you're not capturing first should. party data, you're at a disadvantage. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that for just a little bit because I'm kind of with you. Like marketers of all, we've been beat over the head with the privacy thing. And, and I mean, this is something that, I mean, the time has come, right? We've been. That's right. We deserve and I, and this. I'll, I'll link to something we talked, you know, off, off air first about, you know, well, why should consumers want to give up? their data, you know, why would they be willing to do that? Well, if you give them a great experience, you're giving them relevant content, the choice for that is to charge them for it. And I believe that's a bad model, right? People don't wanna pay for content, we're used to not paying for it. There's the exceptions of the rule would be, let's say New York Times or Wall Street Journal, but for most of our websites we go to, we don't like seeing that paywall. We don't like seeing you get one article free, now pay me. What you're comfortable saying is, okay, I'm gonna read your content. And if you have to ask me some questions or understand my preferences, and in the end, I'm seeing some advertising, I'm okay with that. That's kind of the way I watch TV. That's kind of the way I, I browse content. I'm used to that. The key is to make sure that what they see is relevant to what you've asked them for. So if you're saying, hey, I want to get your permission to learn about your interests, and now I'm giving you stuff based on that interest, it's a great value exchange. If you just ask them for stuff and then you bombard them with things that are not relevant to them, then they feel like you're spamming me. And the whole difference here is not the volume, it's the relevancy. So I think as, uh, again, our audience kind of thinks about what you want to be doing, it's creating a relationship with the end user, giving them something of value. And then in return, they'll give you more information about themselves because they like that experience and they want to give you more opportunity to customize that. Yeah, I love what you just said. I, so I fell in love with you a little bit now, Jeff. The, I, I think marketing is relationship building. And I don't think you're allowed to market to people you don't care about deeply. 
And I know that sounds maybe a little childish and, you know, possibly quixotic, but the brands that take that to heart end up benefiting from it. And so if you are providing people with relevant content that can serve them and they can help them in their lives, like why wouldn't they want to continue to engage with you? And then the moment they don't anymore, you know, okay, for whatever reason, there's, there's no longer a fit here. Right. I'd like to always ask this question of marketers and, and people that manage websites. What percent of your monthly audience? Hey, it's Kasim here and I have a question for you. What if you could legally get the emails of almost every person who visits your website? Now, I know that sounds crazy, but seriously, what if you could safely and respectfully target your website visitors via email just by dropping a pixel onto your site? It might sound too good to be true, but our new sponsors at getemails.com can do just that. They've created a system that's compliant with U.S. laws and regulations, and every email address they send you is opted in to receive emails. That means you can connect your anonymous website visitors to real people and then safely retarget them through email with real-time, fully compliant interactions. I've personally met the CEO, Adam Robinson, and the guy is absolutely brilliant. And he believes in his product so much that he's willing to do something a little crazy for PT listeners. If you are an e-commerce brand that's doing over a million in annual revenue, and you've gone through their easy 30-minute onboarding process, if you don't 5X your investment within the first six months, they will give you all of your money back. To take advantage of this offer, go to getemails.com forward slash scalable. That's getemails.com forward slash scalable. Hey, PT listeners, when's the last time your business published on its blog? If the answer is that's way too long for me to remember, I want you to listen up because our friends at BKA Content have a news service where they'll deliver fresh blogs to your inbox and all you have to do is just post them on your site. Now, these articles are all originally written just for your business. They're not generic articles that are just copy and pasted or thrown into some AI software or written by a VA. No, these are professional writers who are going to sit down and write articles just for your business. We've used them in the past, and they're absolutely fabulous. Now, if you want an extra reason to go try them yourself, BK is giving PT listeners half off their first month. Just go to bkacontent.com forward slash perpetual to get started. That's bkacontent.com forward slash perpetual. Do you have a relationship with? Do you know them? Can they log into your site? Can you go back and send them content? Right? Practically, it means even if you don't have a paywall or a subscription or anything like that, do you have a way to reach out to them again? Typically an email address. And you'd be surprised at how low that percentage is, less than 5%. Hmm. So effectively, they're running a business. Again, think of the local store, and you have hundreds of customers, and you never know any of them. But it's local. Isn't the first rule of business, hey, get to know your customer? And right. so you have all these people coming in. You don't know anything about them. And how is that a good business? Your competitors, which is, let's say, it's Google and Facebook, know everything about the audience, right? We're always logged in on those platforms. Therefore, they know everything about us. But when you go to these content sites where, in theory, the value exchange is better, it's trusted, it's editorialized, it's content from places we trust, why wouldn't you want to know who they are? That same thing. If you respect them, you'll give them a better experience, and they'll like you more for that. If you're like me and you're running a lot of advertising, finding the time and energy to design high converting creatives for my clients can be exhausting, not to mention time consuming. And as business owners, 
We need to focus on the business and not be in the business. So when we need custom graphics or videos made inside tier 11, we use a no limit creatives. We don't use them on every single customer account. Keep in mind, we have a very large creative team. But NLC is the place that we go when we need just a little bit of help, or maybe we've got too many ads that are sort of lined up and we have a capacity issue. So that's how we use them. I would highly recommend that you use them as well. They're the go-to design service for agencies and brands globally, and they service thousands of businesses every single year. So they'll get your company and your message absolutely right. And right now, they're offering all of our listeners here at Perpetual Traffic 50% off the first month of service. When you just try them out, just head on over to nlc.com forward slash ads. Use coupon code PTP at checkout. That's PTP to get your 50% off instant savings. Enhance your image today with No Limit Creatives. Yeah. and So the other soapbox I want to jump on briefly and then maybe you can poke at me with your opinions is I get frustrated especially by clients but honestly anybody students marketers that they disparage the size of their own lists like I think if a person signs up if one human signs up that's a celebrate that's a celebratory moment like a person came to you think of this as a person with you know family jobs love interest owns a home has it you know whatever like this is a this is a real life human being and we look at them as like as lemmings you know it's like ants like oh i don't have fifty thousand people on my email it's not a big enough list and and i just want to pump our brakes and say hold on somebody out there with a soul has said i want to hear from you and i think if you can look at it that way it, it puts you in a position to really not only be responsible but and hopefully this doesn't sound predatory but capitalize on the moment and realize somebody is you know i, I just got a thumbs up i got a vote in my favor that's right and if you want another metric uh you know besides the click to deliver it i'd throw out there We'll talk about active users. Active doesn't mean openers, right? We can't use that anymore, as we've just talked about, because Apple won't allow that. We define an active user as not somebody who stays on your list, opens once in a while. It's someone who's clicked in the last 30 days. They're indicating to you that there's something in what you sent them that was relevant and interesting to them, and I want to learn more. That's mm -hmm. a real user. Everybody else, you're exactly right. It's on a list. Let's not even count them. It doesn't matter. And one of the things in our model is we don't charge people that are not kind of active. So you wanna kind of be thinking about in your uh, relationship with your audience, you're focusing on the people that are active, that are actually gonna to want to engage. And that's the number you should be counting. How much do you do in the space of split testing, Jeff? So we do it a little bit differently. The classic split test is we'll take two different you know, populations, give them one you know, uh, creative treatment or one offer and another one because we have a lot of multivariate and kind of decision support systems, it's happening in real time. So it's not two segments, it's thousands of segments. If anything, mm -hmm. we have a, a client, just to give an example, they've got a million pieces of content, and I'm sorry, 100,000 pieces of content and a million users. We have to decide every day which content on a one-to-one -one basis, which user. That's not segment-based, right? That's, that's fully data science, artificial intelligence. You got to figure that out in real time. Uh, but there are algorithms that you can run to do that. And I think in general, that works better than what a human might come up with on their own. It's so it's interesting. I, I run a Google ads agency. I deal nothing with nothing but paid ads all day. And what's interesting for us is I've stopped trusting split testing because I can run a, I can run a split test today and get a definitive answer. You know, creative A versus creative B and creative B wins 91% of the way. Run that ad, exhaust it. And then six months later, run the exact same split, split test and get a, an entirely different result. 
and and I understand, you know, I'm not a statistician, but I'm I'm I, I'm I understand enough the the variability and cyclical changes in the market and you know whatever adjustments might be made. But there's also something in me that just says like, I just kind of don't buy this this bridge we build with split testing. I think there's I think there's so much more to it. It's multivariated and multifaceted. Well, it's also let's go back to you know users are dynamic in their interests. Right. And exactly that. If you ask the same user every day for six months, you might not get the same answer every day, right? So we have to recognize that in our business, because we deal a lot with kind of personalizing content, what we find is the same user has different interests every day, potentially different parts of the day, right? If I send you something about weekend plans on Monday, that's not so interesting. But at Friday at 3 p.m., everybody's opening that email, right? Everybody wants to know what's the weekend plans, right? So you have to kind of take the context for that user. So split testing, again, makes sense potentially, for solving for some things, but it's not static. And that's why I would agree, like move to multivariate or run that test multiple times because users change. Hmm. So half of our listeners are marketers, CMOs, director of marketing, small businesses maybe, the other half are agencies. And I know you don't deal with agencies much, but let's throw the agency some bones, especially the agencies that are suffering at email marketing. What can we tell them to do on behalf of their clients? What's the managed service? Well, first off, they're always looking for leads. They're always looking for new things they haven't tried. What are the two most used applications on a mobile phone? Anybody want to guess? And you should be, be analyzing them. It's not Facebook and Twitter. It's the email Gmail. camera. Yeah, um, yeah we, we joke. It's, e it's either Apple Mail or Gmail, right? The point is, how do you advertise in there? If you're the agency, you want to bring unique, you know, converting traffic that you don't necessarily have access to. You want to get them where they're spending time. I think the average user checks email 17 times a day. How many apps do you know that you can actually go into 17 times a day? But they're doing it with email. The problem is there's no way to go to Apple or Gmail and say, I want to advertise in the message. We offer that as an opportunity. So there's Gmail sponsored promotions, but to your point, they, Google doesn't make it easy. And the targeting is very, very limited. You it's kind of at arm's length. Remember, that's at the inbox. That's one page. Oh, I see what you're saying. So in... Actually, in the email, that's when they're engaged. When I scan my inbox, I'm not looking for ads. I'm looking right. for which of these subject lines... Are interesting. I'm a sports fan, Dodgers fan, right? You give me anything about the Dodgers, I'll open that email. I'll, I'll read about it. If you give me something around that, I'm ignoring it. But once I open an email, let's say it's about you know baseball, and then suddenly around there, they're giving me kind of, hey, you know, here's trips to you know spring training, and here's advanced tickets and stuff like that. Hey, that's real relevant to me. So now you've hit me with where I'm already engaged. And we actually have a lot of metrics that will suggest advertisers that find um, partisan type topics where we talk about passion. Um, topics do better than in non-passion emails. Same exact offer, same user base. Hmm. It's not a change in the audience. But when I'm reading about something I care about and I'm kind of, if you will, stoked about it, I'm gonna actually respond to an ad in a better way as well. So again, if you're an agency, where else can you get a level of engagement that marries people everyday checking with high degrees of kind of passion that can be associated with the brand that you're representing? What are, you doing? Are, the, are the ads disassociated from the content or is it kind of seated in there? I mean, would I be able to tell the difference between the content and the ads? Yes. So we offer our, the publishers decide the look and feel. Some have a very classic sponsored by or advertisement and it's set off very, very differently. Some people like more the contextual feel where they'll have a couple of stories. Then they'll have something that kind of takes them through another story and they'll just have a very, very kind of a thin outline that says sponsored. But either way, all the ads are definitely indicated because there's usually a, a, a logo on it that will show our logo, for example, uh, and it will show you that it's an ad. 
And there's different strategies. It depends what the person is offering. If it's a classic, very uh, product-oriented sale, you might want to just put it out there. If it's a story that takes them to a content site, and then after that, there might be an offer, that's a different type of uh, approach, and therefore they work differently. And we obviously support different ad formats based on what type of message the marketer wants to get. And do you have an open marketplace, Jeff, if I wanted to come and advertise inside of these email clients that you have, or is it more managed uh, service? We call it managed service because obviously on behalf of the publishers, we don't allow anybody to put an ad in without review, mm-hmm. but it is a very simple process. There's no minimums. It's easy to try out a campaign. And uh, we find lots of people kind of from very, very different types of products see great return. Because again, you don't have to deal with fraud. You don't have to deal with ad blockers. You don't have to deal with all these things that in the open web are real concerns. In email, it's a very different, very closed environment. And the other challenge, which I think is a good thing, is that we see the same users for those newsletters every day. So we learn much more about them. So the targeting can be much more direct as well. Don't answer any questions that overstep, but I'm going to start getting snoopy. How, how, how big of a list do you manage in aggregate? Well, we don't necessarily manage anybody's list directly. Again, that's all owned by the, the content creator. But if you want to get a sense of scale, we'll probably on a given day, you know, probably see somewhere in the order of 300 to 400 million you know, different kind of sessions, uh, each one getting a piece of content that's been customized by us. That's per day. So that's a lot of AI if you think about just kind of the volume. Um, I'd say in the world, you know, there's probably everybody has an email address, right? So there's billions of opportunities. But in the United States market, as an example, we probably will see uh, somewhere about a quarter to a third of active email subscribers in a given month. Wow, that's a really big deal. And to the point that you made earlier, the first thing that I think every adult human does before they go to bed and the first thing they do when they wake up is check their email. That's right. And we all hate the experience. Let's be honest, we do it as a necessity. Wouldn't it be great if you woke up and actually only saw the five messages you actually wanted to open and read? Now that we have to get everyone to that point, but that's because we got to get away from sending the same message to everybody, not caring about the user's feedback, looking at things like opens, not clicks, looking at things like, you know, that, that active list, how many people do I have? When we move the industry to thinking about how many people engage, then we'll get to, I think, an inbox that just makes more sense in how you behave. So that's my favorite question to ask any thought leader. Where, where are we going from here? What's the future of email look like? I think it's great and it's much larger. Again, to use that stat that I quoted, if less than 5% of traffic on a website today comes from a channel like email, that's where you can identify the user, I think the future is going to be 20 or 30%. And we have certain kind of, I would say, leading uh, clients that have already gotten, gotten to that point and their business is extremely healthy. Because the benefit in that world is, think about it, you're no longer reliant on Google or Facebook search or social to get your traffic, you're controlling how that traffic comes to you. And in fact, you're putting your brand directly in front of the end user with nobody disintermediating that. So I think the future is much more about that building a relationship with a channel you control. And what about the commoditization of specific prospects? So just to give you an example of, I, I, I was in the real estate investment space for a while doing lead generation and real estate investors will pay anything for a lead. Uh, and I'm, I'm almost not making that up. Like they'll pay thousands of dollars for a lead. So you're building these lists and you might identify like, oh, here are people that, you know, want to go on a trip to the Bahamas and here are folks that are interested in sports and here are people that want to sell their house. Uh, that list becomes so valuable so quickly. Anybody else who wants to market to that prospect is, is more or less priced out. Do you see a, a, an ability to kind of fight that commoditization or are we going to lean into it? Well, I think, again, it's not like anybody is, I think, captive or exclusive to somebody buying that lead. Obviously on the search side, there's kind of a 
you've got to win the auction and then you get that user. But on the email side, it's much more of a consistent relationship. So as somebody, let's look at it first from the content creator's point of view, the more data they collect, yeah, maybe they can't sell that user today to you know a mortgage, but in two months they have more data. Now they know not just their interest in buying a home, they might know their credit level. They might know the number of dependents. They might know other things that actually make that a better lead because the quality is not there, is not only, uh, not just the quantity, right? Mm. Um, I think from the point of view of the advertiser, there's an unlimited capacity for them buying data, right? So they're always looking for more. And if we can give them a source that they don't have, they'll buy that too. So, you know, because leads are scarce, I would say anything we do to create more knowledge about a user makes it a better source for future leads as well. Absolutely. What have we not talked about that we should have? What would a smarter person have asked you? Um, you know, how difficult are these things? And we talked about kind of having a user profile. We talked about kind of doing cross channel. And I would just throw up that it's actually really simple. Sometimes it only is one line of JavaScript and you can get up and running. Wow. And so people should not be kind of concerned. It's not expensive. You know, these types of solutions, obviously, there's lots of players on them. But when you look at it, marrying a model where you can actually either pay for it directly or leverage the fact that as you create inventory that you might monetize, it's actually a type of service that you might not pay anything for. And in fact, you might get paid for it. So again, content creators that want to build their email list might be doing that in a net revenue to them uh, world as opposed to them paying for it. And that's just because- content is hard. I mean, that is a difficult uphill battle. It is, but if they focused on just creating the content and somebody else helped them focus on building audience and monetizing audience, we've taken away the two things that are commodities from their point of view and allow them to focus on the thing that's unique, which is what they're good at. Yeah, it's brilliant. It occurs to me, Jeff, that you live in the, the two oldest spaces on the internet, right? It's like content is king and email marketing, and you've married well, those two. Look at my demo. I, I can relate to both of those. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when the first email was sent. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I, I think it probably speaks to Jing's longevity too, because it's you know it's always going to be here. Um, where can people find you? Uh, we're on Jing.com, J-E-E-N-G.com, and I'm just Jeff at Jing. Always happy to hear from anybody. Awesome. Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on. This is awesome. To my listeners, if you're not in the email marketing space, really spend some time soul searching there because I think you're missing on a missing out on an opportunity that is it's not only going to help amplify the value, but it costs you almost nothing to get started, quite literally nothing. So spend some time uh, thinking about, you know, in, in your, your Q1 initiatives for the coming year. I think email marketing is really worth taking up if you're not doing it already. If you are doing it, maybe it's time to level up. Go check out Jing. Take some of Jeff's advice. I want to be, Ralph and I want to be the number one marketing podcast in the world. Um, we're consistently in the top rankings, but we want to be even better than we have been. So if you have advice for me, if you have topics you want to hear from, thought leaders you want to hear from, uh, something that I can do better, go to perpetualtraffic.com forward slash better, perpetualtraffic.com forward slash better. You can tell me one thing that we do well, three things we can improve upon, and then other topics that you want to hear about, because I want this to be an audience directed show. Um, so grateful that you take out the time to listen to me talk. What a blessing that is for me to have. Jeff, thank you again so much for being here. Really grateful to you, sir. My pleasure. It was fun. Awesome. And we will talk to you all next time. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. 